Welcome to the Leaders Council podcast. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm your host today. And this is the program for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. And as regular listeners of our program will, of course, know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome Shelley Simone, entrepreneur and founder of Scale for Retail, the largest Amazon seller community in the UK onto today's program. Uh, Shelley, very warm welcome to yourself and thanks for taking the time to join us. It's a real pleasure having you. It's a it's a great honour. Thank you very much uh, for, you know, bringing me on to this podcast. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And um, I suppose if we call it the explosion of the e-commerce space, it's really changed uh, consumer behaviour, hasn't it, in the uh, the past sort of 10, 15, 20 years. And uh, it's a space where sort of businesses are sort of thriving as a result of it, but also businesses on the high streets of the UK are having to adapt as well. And you, your business journey really started kind of in the e-commerce world, uh, didn't it, uh, Shelley, sort of co-founding sort of two high growth startups in the, uh, the industry. Um, did you always kind of have an idea when uh, sort of e-commerce you know the advent of it came about that sort of stepping into that sector was going to be the uh, the way forward for you I'd love to say I was a really good early adopter but I don't think that would be entirely true mm. so I entered e-com in 2015 an early adopter would have probably started um in 2014 uh, and what made the massive change for people wanting to start their e-com businesses was that Amazon, uh, which is the primary platform that you might use if you're kicking off on e-commerce uh, because they bring so much volume to you. Uh, Amazon essentially launched uh, the FBA program in 2014. And what that meant was that you could be an entrepreneur sitting in the middle of the UK like I am and sell across America, the UK, and Europe instantaneously, you know, without setting up complex supply chains, um, without having to build massive infrastructure into your business. Uh, It just made it super simple and easy uh, from that perspective. I'm not suggesting, though, that launching your own business or or becoming an e-commerce seller and and brand owner is easy uh, so when I launched and I went through my own learning process there were lots of people out there that were trying to convince people like me that you could sit on a beach and do it for a couple of hours a day mm. and so um, like anything in business uh, the dream might be uh, you know big but you've still got to be a good business person you've got to know how to Uh, do a lot of stuff you've got to be a master of so many different aspects of the business and uh, it's a lot harder than just sitting on the beach that I can absolutely confirm Absolutely so. And you took it upon yourself to really go and learn within the industry as well. You, I think that involves sort of taking a very long sort of master of business administration course, didn't it? But I suppose what you were also backed up by was uh, the career that you had in sort of uh, international human resources as well. And did some of the things that you learned, not just from your studies, but also from your earlier career, did that sort of translate well into when you sort of first ventured out in e-commerce? Yeah, absolutely. So I was very fortunate. I had a a good career in corporate life before I got cracking uh, with e-commerce. And I uh, was also, 
you know, really fortunate in my corporate career in that even though I was a functional director or a functional expert, I worked with some amazing people who brought me in to look at other aspects of the business. And so to, to some extent, I view my corporate career as this extended MBA into logistics, into manufacturing, into business models and how you finance different business models, um, you know, really how you look at business and how you set yourself up for success, even though the part that I was delivering against and, and managing was all about talent and making sure that we maximize uh, not just the use of talent within these businesses, but maximize the opportunities for people to express their talent. Um, so I was very, very big on making sure that, uh, you know, you use all of the resources that God has given you and therefore you succeed, you get fulfillment. You know, that's really uh, the way to make a business life very successful. And and I think if corporates did do that well, um, then even those entrepreneurial types, and I, I suspect I was probably one of them, can really thrive in those environments. Uh, but eventually, every entrepreneurial type will get drawn to doing uh, the thing that allows them to be their own boss. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose one of the uh, the whole the, the hurdles, let's say, or the, one of the things that holds you back on the entrepreneurial journey, I guess, is that sort of fear. Let's call it. It's it's kind of the uh, the indecision, the the worry that it's going to essentially fall flat on its face, so you're going to suffer a setback, and um, that sometimes means that when we are entrepreneurial and we do have that big idea that could really, you know, go out there and change the marketplace, change consumer behaviour, change the world, we don't necessarily pursue it because of that sort of fear holding us back, if we call it that. So, um, with regards to your own journey, uh, Shelley, did you find mm-hmm. yourself having to grapple with that yourself? Certainly, sort of venturing into the e-commerce sphere as a little bit of a late start and also sort of later on in your career as well? So I, I, I don't know if I'm a lot like a lot of entrepreneurs who, who are perhaps younger, more idealistic and do this at an earlier age and, you know, really want to make a massive change. Trying to do all of that and be an entrepreneur is very, very difficult. So I took a slightly more practical, easier path. I went for a business model that looked like it had a lot of the things set up. I maximized the use of the platform, particularly called Amazon or Shopify, if you're talking about your own website. You know, I maximized the use of things and and big technology companies that give you the facility to be a great e-com entrepreneur. And don't get me wrong, I had to put a lot of work into it. But I did not reinvent the wheel or indeed reinvent the world in any way, shape or form. I, uh, I, I took a much more, uh, it wasn't particularly well-trodden at the time, but looking back on it now, you would call it a well-trodden path to mm. entrepreneurship. Uh, and so I had a lot of uh, potential safety net built into what I was doing, and that made it easier to succeed. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, I entered when there was a window of massive opportunity. Uh, there's a lot more competition these days, and it's much, much harder to succeed. Uh, and there's a lot of competition around the kind of products 
that I designed and launched myself. Uh, so the whole product sourcing and the ideas around what you want to be selling and how you want to sell it and how you want to build your brand, you know, all of that is tougher than it was when I got started seven, eight years ago. But it's still possible because, like I said, you've got all these platforms that enable you. And actually, I managed to launch two businesses, not just one, um, within a very short space of time. And I'm not saying I recommend that, it's harder, but I did two uh, within a year of each other. And they were international businesses trading in America, the UK and Europe within a couple of years of launch. I think that's pretty amazing to be able to build that, you know. It's absolutely incredible, isn't it? And um, given that on this program and previous episodes, we've talked about sort of the immense amount of work that goes into sort of starting businesses because you are very hands-on until the point where the business starts to really grow, aren't you? Um, what was it like sort of balancing the responsibility of building and sustaining those businesses with sort of your life, let's say? I mean, what was the work-life balance like and how did you sort of manage with that? Okay, this is where I laugh hysterically. What work-life balance? Uh, so I I have to admit, I've, I've always been a bit of a very dedicated worker. Even when I was in my corporate days, I was operating at an executive level. Uh, so I didn't have much work-life balance. I, I used to take holidays before I was an entrepreneur, but um, I had to give those up, actually. So I, I, I'm sorry to say there was no work-life balance. I worked like crazy, mm. sometimes till midnight, you know, doing 12 to 16-hour days in the early days, uh, traveling to China, spending weeks of my time out there to source uh, the kind of products that I want, or indeed to America. Uh, for, so one brand, I sourced my and made my products in the domestic markets I was really selling in, that was the UK and America. Uh, and for my other brand, I was creating products that were being manufactured for me to my spec in China. So I jumped on planes. I did all the crazy stuff. I forgot about my, luckily, I, you know, my kids had grown up and left home. And so I was in a position where my main responsibility, uh, you know, was kind of to myself and my partner. And I could just throw everything and the kitchen sink. And that's good, isn't it, when you are able to sort of channel all of your resources into being able to uh, to build the business. And uh, I think it is just um, a case, it, it, it's a case in point of what always happens when you grow a business, isn't it, from the very beginning, that there are a lot of sleepless nights, there's a lot of hard graft that goes into it, and there isn't necessarily much work-life balance. And I think that maybe is something that sort of establishes itself more as the business goes through its lifespan. But uh, I suppose work-life balance, by and large, it's something that we've become more aware of since the, uh, the pandemic. I think it's fair to say, isn't it? We're sort of talking a little bit more frankly about our mental health and we're opening up more about it and prioritising the work-life balance a little bit more when certainly pre-pandemic, maybe we were talking about mental health. We were a little bit guilty of not taking the step back as and when we need to. And I suppose that also goes for business leaders, those in positions of responsibility, as well as those that are essentially working on what you call the shop floor, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'll be honest, towards, uh, so there came a point where it was clear that I would not be able to continue at that pace, um, uh, you know. And so 
you do have to have those wake-up moments. And one of the things that you learn, I mean, I, I started out my career, you know, in talent, like I said, and in people. And so finding people and headhunting people and, you know, recruitment was not my weakness. That was my pretty much my only strength coming into this business, uh, you could say. Um, and actually, uh, recruiting when you are a startup business, when you're an entrepreneur that has that is a little starved of funds because you want to spend most of your money on marketing rather than people, you know, that's your natural inclination when you get going. Um, that one is tough. And, and I had to learn mainly from the community of fellows that I was uh, percolating around how to uh, hire people uh, remotely. So, uh, you know, this is back in 2016, 17, long before the, um, the, the kind of pandemic outcomes mm. that we've started to see. So I hired a team. Uh, of people uh, sitting in the Philippines. Uh, I had to learn how to help them to be successful without too much of my input. And that meant, you know, putting in place SOPs and giving them all as a safety net so that they could be successful. Uh, they loved work. My, my main VA, uh, who ended up being with me in the business for the full seven years uh, that I owned these businesses before I exited, uh, successfully uh, you know she ended up hiring people for me and teaching them the, the the SOPs that we put in place to run the business so you know you do learn a very different model of how to have people help you in the business um, that is different to what you experience in corporate life um, and so that was a big adaptation for me, actually, but obviously one that I needed to make. Exactly so. And I suppose a lot of it is uh, grounded in trust, isn't it? Um, you have to trust people that you're bringing on board to help you run your business. And also you have to kind of get over that psychological block as a startup entrepreneur to let go of the uh, the day to day and move into that kind of more strategic role of oversight and looking ahead to the uh, to the future and what your business is going to look like in maybe two, three years time. Yeah, absolutely. Because the unfortunate truth of it is that we are born with only a certain amount of energy. You know, we're like full batteries when we start. And as we go through life, we deplete that energy. Uh, and, and that could be positive energy, you know, the, the kind that will keep you going for longer than anybody else, uh, the Duracell battery type. But it's also the emotional energy in order to absorb stress or difficulty or setbacks. And so if, if your energy pool is limited as a human, and it is, trust me, um, I've taken it to the limit, uh, then you really do, once you see that the business is successful and you are working in it, um, then you have to start that process of growing the team, of growing your business successfully. And eventually you realize as an entrepreneur that the longer you work in your business, the less you will grow it. You might feel good about it because you're controlling everything, but actually it will deplete your ability to grow the business because it will deplete your energy. Um, and, and that also counts for your emotional ability to deal with the stresses and strains. 
So the only way that you succeed is by ending up working on it as opposed to in it. And that's a very hard lesson for an entrepreneur uh, to learn, even if you've only been an entrepreneur for a short time, like I, like I was when I started out. And, it, and it's worse if you're a bit perfectionist, and I will admit to having that particular fault in me as well, you know, that desire to either get it right or not bother. And, uh, and getting it right was really, uh, well, was really critical to the success of the business, you know, in the early days. And so it was a very good value to have. But if you take that to excess and uh, you, are, you lose your ability to be nimble, and being nimble is actually the essence of entrepreneurship because you will certainly get waves of um, problems coming at you. Uh, you know, COVID is one, supply chain issues is another, the rising cost is the third uh, that everybody is trying to contend with in business. Well, entrepreneurs are best placed to deal with those things because they can be so nimble and they can just switch paths very, very easy. You know, they don't need a whole committee of board members to come to a decision. Larger businesses struggle with that kind of thing for a lot longer, and therefore they may not be able to grow as fast or to maximize the opportunity quite as quickly. Um, and as an entrepreneur, you've got to be uh, very able to grasp what's happening um, and to pick up on trends and to move fast. That really, uh, and, and being an e-commerce entrepreneur, you know, there is a lot that changes very fast. I mean, if you're in fashion, there's trend changes every two minutes, um, which is a category I avoided because of that. Um, uh, and so, therefore, you, you really do need to set your business up and your mindset up to be you certainly do, absolutely, um, because it's all well and good having the vision and planning for the future, but the plan rarely survives that first contact with the enemy, does it? So you've got to be able to be adaptable, as you say, change the plans, and but keep the vision the same because the end goal doesn't change, of course. And uh, you mentioned some of the um, the things you really need to be aware of, the changing circumstances, as in certainly an e-commerce business. And I guess something that e-commerce companies have been grappling with an awful lot and a lot of businesses have been doing this as well since the pandemic as well as sort of the ongoing sort of supply chain issues we're seeing with China as well but despite that problem e-commerce businesses are still finding ways to keep going and keep finding ways around these things yeah I mean I uh I I by the time Brexit rolled around Mm. and I hate to use the b-word because it's so maligned these days uh, you know, I I had about 35, 40% of my turnover for one of my businesses coming out of Germany mainly, but Europe uh, centered around Germany. And I couldn't afford to just lose 35 to 40% of my turnover. It was such a substantial part of my business mm. that I had to come up with solutions, and I did. I didn't go head on and deal with Brexit. I went around it. I set up a European entity, uh, which was entirely divorced from my UK business, which previously had been sourcing all of my products into Europe. Uh, And I ended up having to source directly into Germany in order to serve my European customers. 
So that's a great example of how an entrepreneur will deal with a great big barrier that suddenly gets put up versus mm. how uh, perhaps a, a larger business um, might might deal with it. And with the community that I set up of sellers, I also trained them to uh, adopt the kind of model. As I was going through it, I did a number of sessions about, you know, all the all the hurdles I was bumping into even trying to take that approach and talking about some of the like warehouse that I found, the shippers that I found, the way round that I found, uh, the kind of way to set up the European entity, all of that kind of stuff. So as I was going, I was teaching the seller community that was part uh, of another business, the scale for retail business that I started um, on, on how to address mm the big challenge um and i think a larger number of people in the community uh didn't lose their uh business in europe as a result of that and it just shows the value doesn't it of networking and sharing knowledge and i think that's something that we've learned an awful lot about uh, certainly over the last couple of years because we saw entrepreneurs during the pandemic sort of sharing that knowledge and talking about the the storm that they were all facing but maybe being in different boats and how they were trying to get around certain things and i think as a startup entrepreneur especially whether you're in e-commerce or you're in any industry going and seeking out others seeking out counsel surrounding yourself with people who are more experienced and better than you are at what you're trying to do at that point in time it's a good thing to do isn't it it's important to recognize that you know you're not doing this alone yeah absolutely and when I started in 2015 I suddenly found myself sitting in front of the computer for like 10-12 hours a day or listening to a ton of podcasts YouTube sessions you know because I was trying to learn beyond just uh, the initial path that I'd been put on. I did a course that originally helped me. But I went way beyond that, and I was trying to find learning in every place that you can. And the good news is there's a lot of it out there. A lot of it is um, not as good as it should be, and a lot of it that's free will waste your time. So I think it's important to find the right kind of smart people to follow and that's hard to determine in the early days, but you eventually get there. Um, and I, so I went from uh, to that from I used to travel around Europe. I used to go and see the various corporate offices that I was responsible for. I must have had 100 people in the company that I worked for, you know, that were part of my regular network of people that I was talking to. Maybe it was a bit less than that. I can't can't count obviously but uh do you know what i mean there was yeah. like a very big social outgoing aspect to the work that i was in before and i went i probably went through the kind of mental adjustment that most people have gone through now over covid um and i realized how important it was for me to continue to to, to go to meetup events to talk to the kind of so I tried talking to my children about the journey that I started when I first got started. And you should have seen their eyes glaze over. I mean, they did not understand one aspect. And, and they, they probably thought, what are you doing? You're like too, too old. Um, you know, and, and the beauty actually of being in e-commerce or being an entrepreneur that goes online to find their fortune is like, um, is that it's ageless. It, mm. it, it, 
you know, there are no discrimination factors except your own inhibitions around what you want to learn and do. And so therefore, it's amazingly open to just about anybody. Uh, and I don't know many industries that would allow you to build a business and sell it within five to seven years successfully that, uh, that have barriers to entry that actually are enablers to entry. Um, it, it's phenomenal when you think about it that way. It is. And I do love that sort of ageless message as well, in the sense that, you know, you never are too old to get into the market and really start a business. I mean, like today is a new day. Tomorrow is a new day. You just go and seize it. It's uh, it's absolutely fantastic. And certainly something that I hope some of our listeners tuning in do certainly heed if you do have that big idea and you do want to go and pursue it. Just go for it, I suppose, is the uh, is the big message there. And uh, if we're thinking sort of specifically about sort of the e-commerce space, having gone and set up um, the e-commerce community scale for retail and also two successful e-commerce businesses, we've talked about the value of learning, going and seeking out counsel, going and seeking out knowledge. But if we could sort of summarize the key things that sort of the key ingredients, let's say, that go into a successful e-commerce business, what would you say those key ingredients are from your perspective, if, if we could sort of narrow it down to that? Well, I would say the first thing is mindset. So you have to have a bit of a boundless mindset, like nothing is going to stop me. Uh, Not in a stupid way, like, you know, I come across uh, a financial difficulty and I ignore it, Uh, but in a a spirit of positivity, um, because you're going to need a lot of that positive energy. It's not always a walk in the park. The second main thing that you're going to need if you want to set yourself up as an e-com entrepreneur is to pick the right category and also the right product. Um, And and too little sometimes is said about that particular particular aspect of it. So I had a product that actually would sell, particularly around Christmas, it was a gift product. It would sell um, probably about... 70% 70% of my turnover. That's how successful that one product was. Hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of sales through one item that I was partly lucky, partly did a lot of research, but I picked that initial hero winning product. Um, and that then allowed me to create extensions to that product. And that's how I created a really successful beauty gift simply that was our first brand um so it is important to do that original research and you may not get it right in fact with the first product that we chose we got it wrong we just failed really fast we decided within three weeks that we were going to (laughs) fail and so therefore we pivoted uh and created uh, these christmas gift products Mm. instead and that turned it into a massively successful endeavor little did we know how successful so um so you won't get everything right uh, but and it's okay it's, it's you've got to be okay with a bit of failure uh, but also uh you do need to try and do as much research as you can and it and there are lots of tools out there that enable that so look at the data uh, i i think a lot of people are scared of data and trying to analyze data. And if you're not good at it, and I wasn't as good at it as I needed to be initially, um, but my husband was, uh, I, you know, find that person, um, not my husband, he's doing other things, but 
find that person who can do that analysis with you and actually show you what you're looking at and show you how to get the right judgment call based on the data that's out there. And like I said, there's a lot of it. So there's, that's not the issue. Finding it is not the problem. Uh, the second thing that you need is money. So, uh, I mean, you can borrow it, but it's going to be tougher if you don't have enough of your own seed funding. And we put um, well over £100,000 into the launch. And, and we did two brands, so you could say that was stupid. Um, and <laughs> we should have just focused on one thing. Uh, and we did all of that with our own money. So we were prepared to put our own money at risk. And it was scary. It wasn't like sitting around uh, the kind of money you can chuck, it, chuck away. Uh, it was important uh, money to us. Uh, but we invested it and we got a massive rate of return on it. So we'll never regret that. But um, that was a hard decision. It didn't happen overnight. We didn't think we would need quite that much. Uh, but eventually we did. And um it's important to know that you're going to be able to fund your business properly. Too many small businesses that get started fail at the hurdle where they start to experience success and growth, and they need to fund that money very quickly in order to get that growth going. Mm. So I'll never forget in the second year, um, in the run-up to Christmas, we had so much of our money in inventory uh, well over at least about two, two, three hundred thousand pounds. And I had something like 10,000 left in the bank account to pay for the mortgage, to pay for the bills, to pay for the, you know, all the stuff that you need in life. And I was, I was, uh, it was a, it was a hot seat moment. It really was because if we'd failed, uh, we didn't think we would. We'd had, you know, this was our second year. We built up some understanding of the trends in the business and how it all worked. Uh, but still, we took a very calculated risk, and there was risk associated with it. And uh, you know, the rest is history. We were okay. But it, but at that particular moment, and I remember saying to a more experienced seller who was trying to convince me to invest in something, I I said, look, I'm I'm so scared. All I've got left is 10K in the bank account. She just said, Shelley, every single seller goes through this at this time of year. It, it's your big season. So you're obviously going to have all your money stuck in your inventory. Um, and that's the right place for it to be. So don't worry. You will get through the other side and you'll be fine. Uh, and she was absolutely 100% correct. So you need great products. You need the money. And the third thing that I would say is you need to build a really special story or brand around what it is. Now, too many people say that and pay lip service to it. But if you don't have a brand that people can attach to, that people can fall in love with, and that's how it looks, how it speaks, the tone of voice, um, that maybe you might have a brand that is all about making the world a better place. I mean, that's getting a crowd into a crowded space too these days. Mm. Uh, so be careful of all of that. But it is really critical. And in my case, it was very difficult because I did not want to be the face of my brand. 
And so it couldn't be built around me and my personality and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, that was easier with scale for retail because everybody knew that I was one of the sellers that set up that particular events and education business. Mm. But with my actual e-com brand, I couldn't be the face of them. And so I had to use very clever marketing to uh, and, and photography and imagery. Uh, and in the case of one of the brands, we came up with a cartoon character who represented the face of the brand uh, and a very, not quite cartoon, but you know what I mean, a, a bit of a, uh, a representation that wasn't entirely human. And, uh, and that was massively successful for that brand. Everything we did online, uh, you know, we, we made sure that it was part of our packaging and part of our imagery. And so it always stood out against the competition. And all of the competition didn't get what we were doing with our branding. And as a result, we could charge much more than anybody else. And actually charging much more than anybody else when you're online when you're sitting on a page where there are 20 other similar items, maybe, that, um, you know, and you're trying to compete on price is really, really difficult. But because of the way we represented that particular brand and um, the following that we got from customers, uh, we were able to charge about 30% more than our competition hmm. on Amazon. That's really, really hard to achieve. But that meant that when we sold the business, we had an amazing profit story to tell by comparison with the market that we were in. And, uh, and so obviously that was very good for us when we came. It's absolutely incredible, isn't it? Just sort of how when you apply these sort of base qualities, the success stories that can uh, that can really come out of them. And uh, the fact that you managed to sort of sell it essentially 30% more on Amazon as well, such a competitive marketplace, and it was still successful, still uh, selling those products uh, to that scale. It's absolutely fantastic what you can achieve. And, uh, and this is also just, again, to reiterate that message again, don't be afraid of f- fearing to sort of start out. Don't be afraid to jump in. Don't be afraid to fail. You started this sort of late on in your career and have turned it into a great success. So that's a key message, isn't it? If you've got that idea, don't be afraid. Just don't don't hold don't, don't let your inhibitions hold you back. Just go for it. That is a that is the real underlying message here. Yeah, and surround yourself with the people that can uh, kind of support you and help you uh, along the way. So do, if you're not a great FD and you need an FD to help you manage the business. Those kind of people can be hired these days. You know, mm. there was there was one point where we needed to look at the margins in the business and we needed to understand all of the dynamics. And there was too much data because that is one thing that you get in the e-com space or in the online space. You get more data than you know what to do with and you get more data than you know how to analyze. Uh, and so we hired an external FD to take a look at the business uh, it, it was expensive relatively for the amount of time, uh, but that gave us an understanding of the key levers that we needed to affect in order to continue to grow the business. But we couldn't have done that ourselves. So the temptation when you're starved of cash, when you've not got a lot of money, when you're in that startup mode, is to try and not spend money on too many things. And to some extent, that is a good 
um, you know, that's good husbandry. That's good housekeeping. You do need to have those kind of uh, disciplines built into what you're doing. But at the same time, you are going to have to invest in marketing. You're going to have to invest heavily in marketing, like a massive amount. You're going to have to invest massively, potentially, in people and resources. And if you percolate around communities, and there are so many communities these days, but particularly communities that specialize in what you're doing, you will find your natural friends, and you will find some of that stuff for free. Uh, so don't don't be afraid, but don't go alone. That that would be the other adage that I would add. Mm. And certainly don't be afraid, despite the current economic climate either, because some of the best businesses out there have sprung out of times like this. True. Yes, very true. And I think that most people wouldn't realise that the backbone of our economy is actually small businesses. Mm. Um, and the only thing I would say to those people who, who are in a bricks and mortar situation and are finding it exceptionally tough, um, do come and look at online communities like ours, like Scale for Retail, um, and do approach me if you need to, because I'd, I'd be happy to guide you. Uh, but essentially, you need to be able to have... So one of the things that I tried to do with the online brand that I created, the, the beauty gift brand, which was massively successful, I tried to get into retail in America, um, which is a whole different, you know, difficult ball game. To try and play mm. um, and that's because we were so successful in the online space that it made sense to me and the branding was so strong uh, because I guess uh, that is one thing one talent that I discovered along the way um, that I didn't even know that I had I love designing stuff right and I have a sense of good design and uh, and so I created brands that were pretty you know attractive uh, that were eye-catching, and um, and I was in the space where it was largely a female consumer. I will admit that. So clearly, I wouldn't have made car parts look great, mm. but I but that was right for the beauty <laughs> for the beauty gift category. Um, and so it doesn't it doesn't matter if you've started out in an area that is struggling. Transcend it. Uh, you know, and try and go in. So if you're in bricks and mortar, go online. Uh, and if you've got a massively successful online brand, then get into bricks and mortar is what I would say. Don't be afraid necessarily of trying to cross over um, when it comes to channels to market. So the easiest way to grow your business is to grow all the different channels to market. And these days, there is so much ability for you to grow internationally, for you to expand cross-channel, um, you know, the barriers are so much lower than they used to be. Um, they absolutely are, absolutely are. And um, just to reiterate what Shelley was saying uh, just now, uh, do indeed, if you are certainly in the uh, the retail space, go and check out Scale for Retail because there'll be some incredible people that you'll be able to uh, to connect with there and some incredible lessons there to be learned. I'm certain of that. And um, having talked an awful lot about sort of the road to success and what makes a successful e-commerce business uh, today, Shelley, um, I think it only serves that we sort of talk about the uh, the future as well before we wrap things up on the uh, the 
program today. So for scale for retail and for yourself over the course of this uh, year ahead of us, um, what's next for you and what are your sort of key goals and milestones for the uh, for the 12 months ahead? Yeah, that's a great question. And let me just say that I've come out of, so COVID was very good for my e-com businesses, actually. Uh, it, it was tough from a supply chain perspective, mm. but it was very good because all consumers came online and it really expanded the growth of online selling. Uh, but it was really bad for an events business, as you might imagine, because <laughs> mm. we couldn't hold events. And, uh, and we made a lot of our money, not by charging a lot, but by charging people to come to events and masterclasses and masterminds. Um, so I'm, I'm delighted to, to say that I think we're back on the map. 2022 was a test of that. Um, and actually what we're going to do is expand beyond the UK to include other countries. Uh, we've just taken in investment. Uh, so it's a really exciting time for scale for retail. Uh, we have uh, some sponsors who have sponsored us in the past but who have committed to sponsoring scale for retail in the long term. So some of the baseline uh, costs and, um, and and expenses that we have within the business, I have a lot more security than I've ever had in the past, but those are fine and are covered. And to some extent, that puts a bit more wind beneath my wings and is allowing us to grow the business. Um, so really looking forward to 23. Exciting times ahead, it certainly sounds, and I do wish you all the success in the uh, the world with that, Shelley. And um, I'd love the opportunity as well to perhaps catch up and have you back on the show just to see how it's all coming together for you. Because, like I say, you know, big ambitions, and hopefully it all comes together. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'd be delighted to. Yeah, and it would be fantastic as well just to see how other sort of Amazon sellers and those beyond Amazon are also uh, venturing out in the uh, the e-commerce space as well, looking at that sort of knowledge that you're sharing on scale for retail and hopefully they get plenty of value out of this uh, discussion that we've had as well. And uh, just to remind everybody that is listening into today's podcast, um, you can reach out to us if you have your own perspective to share on the topics that we've discussed today. Um, you can leave a comment or ask a question via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us, or you can even apply to be on the show yourself and bring your point of view directly to the discussion table and your port of call for that would be leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply and for now it has been an immense pleasure welcoming scale for retails shelly simone onto today's show and shelly once again thank you for your time and um, all the best with the year ahead thank you thank you And to everybody listening in, I've been your host on today's episode of the Leaders' Council podcast, Scott Challoner. And until next time, when we'll be back with a whole new perspective on leadership, business and current affairs, please do take care all and goodbye.